It's Monday, January 21st, and we welcome you to the OTP. I'm Mike Keith. Amy Wells is here. I am. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. You too. Big week for everyone beginning today in this building. Amy is headed to Orlando, Florida. I sure am. It's going to be great. I'm very excited to spend some time down at the Pro Bowl. At the Pro Bowl. I'm on the way to Mobile, Alabama to the Senior Bowl. The Orlando of Alabama. It is. It is. (laughs) This week for sure. Yeah. With all the football that's going on. But before that, we have a lot to discuss with Titans Radio Game Day analyst Dave McGinnis, our special guest on the OTP. Coach Mack, thank you for joining us. Guys, it's always a pleasure being here with you guys. We have topics, we have questions, and you are on the witness stand today on the OTP. Are you ready? Yeah, I've been to court before. All right. <laughs> Arthur <laughs> Smith good. Arthur Smith is the new offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel naming him to that post earlier today. You like this move very much. First question, why do you like this movie? Okay, look, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a multifaceted answer. And good. the first reason I like it is it's a really good football decision. And it's a good football position uh, uh, decision because of the continuity that it brings. And also, look, you can't manufacture respect in this business. And 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 especially between players and coaches, that that is earned. And you know when a when a coach has players respect, not even the position they're coaching, but from everybody else, you could sense that with Arthur. Let me go back and give you my background with Arthur Smith. When I stayed here the year after uh uh Jeff Fisher left, all right, and Mike Munchak was a head coach. We brought Arthur Smith in here as a defensive quality control coach from the Washington Redskins. Arthur was back there in a little small office. Jerry Gray was the defensive coordinator, and Arthur was was uh, charged with not only installing all of the new defense we were putting in. And what I'm, when I say install, I say inputting and building a playbook with what we were doing. Once we got into the season, okay, what I did for Jerry and what I did for Mike Munchak, you know, part of my duties were I would, I would work on the protections for the opponents we were getting ready to play. In other words, I'd break down their protections. I would take it into Jerry Gray and say, Jerry, look, here's looks to me like here's on, on second and long or third and plus. Here's the protections they're using. Here's what I think we can do against these protections to get home. Here's how I think this would work. And we would put it together, but I would take it to Arthur, and Arthur would build it into a PowerPoint, all right? And then Jerry Gray said, Coach Mack, I would like you to present this on our our Thursday protection day to the defense. And I said no. I mean, I'd been coaching for a long time at that point. I don't need to practice my presentations. But Arthur Smith put this together. He and I worked together. Let's have Arthur present it to the to the defense, which is look when you, when you're coaching this league, you know you you work a long time behind the scenes, and when you get a chance to get in front of a squad, that's what you want to do. That's when you know whether you can handle the room, whether you can present, you know those types of things because coaching is teaching. He's 27 years old at this time. Yes, and 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 again, you know, does not have a lot of experience in it, but was willing to do the dirty work and get down in it. And so I wanted him to be able to you know to step out in front, and I thought it was a good idea because as I said. I didn't need to practice my presentations anymore. I'd done it all. So Arthur did that, and he was marvelous. He was fantastic. I mean, he was detailed, but he presented it in such a way that he kept the players' attention. He had their attention. He, he presented factual information, and you can overload players. He knew exactly how much to get it. And plus, then if they had any questions afterwards, they would come to me or they would come to Arthur, and he had answers, okay? And so I've watched him. I've watched him grow, and then – when he stayed, now he stayed through several regimes, 
coaching regimes that have changed. That's hard to do in the National Football League. If you're staying through coaching changes, you've got something to you. People in the organization like what you bring. And then also football coaches that come in, they're not going to hire anybody just because somebody else likes them. They are going to hire them or keep them because of the work that they can do for them and how they can help their regime be better. He's been here through a lot of that. I love the hire because, first of all, I respect him, his work ethic, what he does, his knowledge, and I know how much these players respect him in this locker room. He did a fantastic job with that tight end group this week, and I think his his ability to be able to continue the offense that, that we've started you know, with, with Matt LaFleur will be really, really big. And plus, I think he and Mike Vrabel will mesh very well as far as philosophy. He's been with Marcus Mariota the entire time Marcus has been here since 2015. Great point. Huge advantage? Huge advantage. Great point, Mike. And, I mean, you, you have to, and you understand, Ball, that is a huge thing. He understands all the things that he can do, all the things he cannot do, and he also understands the things he can be able to build on with him. This is a big year for Marcus. This is a big year for this franchise. I mean, it really is. And I, I, I like the hire because not only does it bring stability, I think it, it brings a real essence of the fact that we've got confidence in that locker room as to what we are doing now. Now let's add pieces to it. Arthur Smith is ready for this. I mean, I have no doubt because I have worked with him. I've seen him. I've sat in the same room with him, game planning, and then I've watched him grow as a coach. I've got no doubt this is a good move. Why is the tight end coach so important in the National Football League, and why do so many tight end coaches eventually become offensive coordinators? The same reason the linebacker coach in the league becomes coordinators. You have to be able to incorporate the front and the back end as a linebacker coach on defense. As a tight end coach, you have to be able to incorporate the run and the pass game and the protection game, okay? If you're a wide receiver coach, okay, a lot of times you're not involved in a protection. You're not involved in what's going on. You're worried about route concepts and what's going on. If you're a tight, a running back coach, you're not so concerned sometimes about the passing game downfield of what's going on. If you're a tight end coach, Mike and Amy, you're involved in all of that. You're involved in run game game plans. You're involved in downfield passing game game plans. And you're also involved in, which I think is one of the more important aspects, the protection part of the game plan. Those guys have to incorporate all of it because that's what the position entails. So this really seems like, just from everything that you've been saying, he was really kind of the trifecta. He's got the experience with the Titans organization. He's, of course, a hard worker with good football knowledge. And he's used to dealing with a lot of different aspects of an organization. I mean, what luck for this Tennessee Titans team to have a person like that in this position right now. You know, and, and Amy, it's a good point. And sometimes, sometimes it's one of those things, the grass is not always greener, you know, type of scenario and you, you need, to, you need to, to realize, you know, what, what, what does it say? Sometimes a prophet's not recognized in his own land. You need to understand the people that are in your building. When you understand the people that are in your building and, and you've, you've seen them work day to day and how they interact, not only with just their group, but with everybody else. I mean, I really like it because, look, if he wasn't ready to do it and if he wasn't capable, I promise you, John Robinson, Mike Vrabel would not have, you know, and look, I would venture to say, and I'm not talking for Arthur Smith, but I would venture to say that if he felt like he wasn't ready to do it, he would tell them that too. Because that's just, look, there's no pretense to Arthur Smith. You guys have been around him, and you know, as a person. 
there's no pretense to him. He is he is as genuine as they come, and, but he's also he's also smart, 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 and he's a football guy. And that was the number one thing I said when Mike asked me that question. He's a football person, which is important. If you believe the reports last year, Mike Vrabel wanted Sean Day to be his offensive coordinator. He's now the head coach at Ohio State. Sure so is. That was, a, that was a pretty good look from Vrabel right there. The guy he went out and got with the help of John Robinson and the organization, even though he didn't know him, was Matt LaFleur. He's now the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. So I think it's pretty obvious that from what we've seen this head coach do, he's not into the buddy system. He's not hiring somebody's brother-in-law. He's not doing this because it's convenient. He went through a lot of different looks. He spent a lot of time, and you could tell from what he said, he spent a lot of time with Arthur Smith before doing this. Mike Vrabel does this because he believes in it. Well, absolutely, Mike. And I mean, look, this is this is Mike Vrabel's chance too. Sure. I mean, this is this is important for his career as to what's going on. So he he wasn't going to make a ready fire aim decision. And he had no reason to. And I'm sure that he had free reign to go look at whoever he wanted to, you know, within reason as far as who he could get. But the fact that he's willing and that to me shows great depth and insight. You're willing to look at all aspects. And as I said, sometimes it's easy to overlook the people that you're closest to. Sure. If you're not really concentrating on the correct thing and to think the next greatest thing is out there instead of rather we've got some pretty good stuff right here. And, and, and I, I applaud him for that. But we, I've been around Mike Vrabel long enough this season. You guys have too. He's not going to make a, a decision just to please everybody. Anybody. He doesn't mm-hmm. – no, no, that's not what he's about. I mean, he's, he's won world championships in this league, and he knows how to do it. And he's also been involved in a team that's playing in the Super Bowl again that they do it with a selfless – you know, it doesn't re- – everything points towards one thing win ball games and win ball games week to week that's what he's that's what this hire is about this hire is about longevity and being able to be consistent i'm going to turn this to amy wells i'm going to ask you a question yeah this is your seventh year with the organization arthur smith is starting his ninth year so you have been here for all but two seasons of arthur smith you're in the building here at st thomas sports park you know all the members of the coaching staff you know the personnel staff you're around Talk to me about the respect that Arthur Smith has from your perspective in this building and why people here at St. Thomas Sports Park are not surprised by this promotion. I think it's a lot of what Coach Mack already touched on with his work ethic. Everybody sees the guys that work the hardest. They see the guys that are always in the building. I don't think I've ever been in this building and Arthur Smith was not also in this building. He's here late at night. He's here early in the morning. So he's a he's a grinder. And so I think that from a coaching perspective, all of the coaches see that. They recognize that. They like that about him. The players have so much respect for him. And I think even more this year, the tight end position kind of had a tough year that was not a great that was not a great room if you didn't want to injure yourself so seeing the way that he was able to coach up some very young talent and get them to a place where they could be contributors on the team and make some big plays and rise up to that moment I think a lot of players saw how he was able to coach how he was able to work with those guys this year specifically but gosh I mean guys like Delaney Walker 
love Arthur Smith. They love working with him. They love his style of coaching, the way that he can relate with them. I am so happy for him to be able to get this opportunity because it gives him the chance to coach a wider breadth of people. Let me take it a different way. So when Arthur Smith came here, he was Jerry Gray's guy. Jerry Gray brought him from Washington here by way of he had gone to Ole Miss in between, but he brought him here because he was Jerry Gray's guy. Then he became Dow Loggins' guy when Dow Loggins became the offensive coordinator. Mike Munchak thought the world of him as well. Then he became Mike Malarkey's guy as the assistant tight end coach. And one of the first things Malarkey did that was the easiest move he made when he became head coach, he said, Arthur Smith is the tight end coach. That's over and done with. And then he became Terry Robisky's guy. And then he became Matt LaFleur's guy. Coaches are about preservation. The people that they keep close are the ones that are going to help them win to either keep a job or get a better job. Arthur Smith has been six different guys guy. No, and that's true. I mean, he was my guy when I got here. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, just like we started this, you know, this podcast off by saying, you know, when when the, of the many duties I did, one of them was get protections. And so I said, I went to Arthur. I said, Arthur, look, Coach Mack, I'm all in. What do you want to do? So, I mean, he's a football guy. And plus, look, you talk about guys, there's guys in this league that fit into a lot of categories. I've seen them all in 33 years. There are some guys that are pollinators. They're self-promoters. They want to go out and just tell everybody how great they are and try to move. You know, they get a job to look for the next job, okay? And then there are those guys, and Amy Wells said the word so well, they are grinders. They could care less who gets the credit. They just want their players to be the best, and then they want to help the group win. That's Arthur Smith. And, look, it reminds me, and I told you guys this earlier, and I'll say it on air when we're talking about it. it's got a lot of the Andy Reid stuff to it the way he started out. You know, nobody really knew who he was. Nobody knew who Mike McCarthy was. No, I mean, I'm talking about back in the day when, you, when somebody you would look at a body of work to, to promote people. I love this just because the fact not only did I know Arthur, look, if he wasn't a good ball coach, I'd sit here right now and tell both of you. It, I don't like this. I really like this. Well, and, and I think for the – listen, the proof's going to be in the pudding. Oh, sure. Arthur Smith's going to be a good offensive coordinator, or he's not. Arthur Smith is going to be able to call good plays, or he's not. The Titans are going to win games, or they're not. We'll, we'll get to later in 2019 and find all that out. That's 100% true. But I think from our perspective, the three of us, when you've been around a ball coach – I don't think you have to know every X and O and every bit of terminology to understand who are ball coaches and who are not. This guy is a good ball coach. Anybody who has been around him and anybody who has witnessed him work and seen the respect that he gets and seen the head coaches that have chosen to keep him easily. I mean, Mike Vrabel was not going to keep guys just as pals. He ran the majority of the people who were here before off because he wanted a different look. He wanted Arthur Smith here. He got recommendations. People told him, just like Rustin Webster told Ken Wisenhunt, hey, this guy's a keeper, I'm telling you. Uh, but the head coach has to decide that. This guy is, is good at what he does and it feels like is worthy of this opportunity. Well, and here's the thing for me that strikes me so much, the consistency factor. Right. There have been a lot of offensive coordinators coming through here in the last couple of years for a variety of reasons. Sure. And 
I like the fact that there's a consistent face. It's someone who's familiar with so many guys on this team, so much of the talent that they have. He's able to work a system to play to their strengths because he's so familiar with them. And there's a chance we don't know how the rest of the offensive staff is going to look 100%. But you can imagine that with someone who has consistently been here, they're not going to be bringing in a bunch of their guys from who knows where. There's going to be a consistency factor throughout the offense that I think is going to be so valuable from Marcus Mariota all the way down. Well, and the receivers. Mm -hmm. I I mean, the, the receivers, to me, especially with this young group, with all the changes... Man, it would be nice if these guys could do the same thing for a while and be able to stay with it. Because, let's face it, Coach, one of the biggest problems we've had at wide receiver has been inconsistent performance. And every coach we've talked to who's been through these doors has said, well, you know, there's a new system. They've said it over and over again. And and that has seemed to stunt the growth of guys at different times. Maybe some consistency in terminology and expectation will allow this young group to take some decent things they did this year and progress even further. Such a valuable point, and it goes right to what you know Amy said, too. I mean, he not only knows what the guys that he has on this squad can do, he knows what they can't do. And that's sometimes that's as big a, a big a knowledge as anything as a coach. Not only do, you know, what can you do, but what can't you do, too, and what don't I need to not ask you to do. He, he's, got that, he's got that ability because he's been here through all of it. He has seen all of it now. I mean, you've been here the whole time. Sure. You know, and, and you, you, you know the things, the different things that he's gone through. And he's gone through different systems. Different, but at the same time, he knows, what, he knows what this group can do. I mean, he does. He knows what this group can do and what they can't do. I like it. I'm going to be real interested to see, to watch him build on this too. Now, look. Again, Mike Vrabel, let me just say this. And I, I don't want to keep comparing things to what – but when – Ever Bill Belichick promotes somebody from within, you know, as the next coordinator? I mean, does anybody know who Brian Flores was? No. No. no does, nobody does, knows who any of these guys did, did are. He, that's right. But the, I, do, I tell you. Dean Pease, when he got promoted, yeah, and guys, I mean, people are like, who are these people? But I, I, tell you, I tell you who does know the people in the business. Right. They know, and you said it earlier, they said ball coaches. The highest compliment I can pay a player anytime I talk about one is to say he's a pro. And I'm not talking about getting paid. Sure. I'm saying he's a pro. The highest compliment I can pay somebody that's teaching is he's a ball coach, which means that's all he's about. And that's what Arthur Smith is. And that's what Mike Vrabel is. All right, let's turn to championship weekend. The two games both go to overtime. First time that's ever happened in NFL history that the AFC championship game and the NFC championship game go to overtime. They are great football games between four worthy teams it is as good as the NFL has in terms of putting on a show. It's Tom Brady. It's Drew Brees. It's the youth in Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. It's superstars on the outside at running back. I mean, if, if you're putting forth something special, trying to say this is our product, it doesn't get any better than this. I was going to say, the league write that for you? No. <laughs> No, I, well, I mean, you know what I think of the NFL. I think mm-hmm. the NFL is the preeminent product in sports, and I think you showed that yesterday. I haven't seen the final TV numbers, but you can guess they're going to be astronomical. For all those people a year ago who were saying the NFL is on the way to being dead, where are you now? But, <laughs> but. I digress. <laughs> officiating. We get a no call 
in the New Orleans-Los Angeles game that the league immediately admitted to the head coach of the Saints. Sean Payton. Sean Payton. That was a bad call. I mean, which they don't do. They never admit right away. There's usually some committee or, you know, it's the man behind the – ignore the man behind the, <laughs> yeah. the mask, so <laughs> yeah. to speak. I mean, but that didn't happen They because it was obvious – if you had been watching a middle school football game and you had seen that play, to anybody who follows the game, that's pass interference. The league acknowledges it. So I want to ask you, Coach Mack, taking away the emotion of it, taking away it cost the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl, potentially, maybe totally, the, the bottom line as it comes up on a, on a video monitor just as we talk about it, one no call has taken the paint off of what was as beautiful a house as the NFL could have built yesterday. Totally stripped it away, and we're talking about that instead of the quality of two overtime games. What must the NFL do to make sure that these things, or to try to keep these things from happening in the future as officiating continues to be? A major issue. First of all, I love your analogy of the house and the paint. That's beautiful. Because, look, I mean, it, that's true. And, and we've done games together now for two seasons. Mm-hmm. And I have not been – look, when I was a coach in this league, I couldn't say anything about the officiating. I can say what I want to now. You can. And I do on the air. Because it's, 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 some of it is so egregious. This that we just saw, that non-call, was malpractice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was malpractice. I mean, seriously, if those guys would have been your surgeon, you'd been dead on the operating table. I mean, <laughs> because it's that bad. I mean, that's what it meant. I mean, it was, it was instant death for Sean Payton and the Saints. I mean, that was bad. Now, was that the only play in the game that made a difference? No, but no. it was a big play at that moment in the game, which was really should have been no doubt. that. I mean, and you had two officials standing right there. You know, I mean, two of them. It's not, it's not the referee's call. It's a side judge and the, and, the, and the down judge. It's their call. And they both swallowed the olive and looked at each other. And then now, as you said, that's, the, that's the, the narrative now. Look, here's what you do. You either go back and you bring all the money you can and get, and get Mike Pereira back to run this thing, or you get Dean Blandino back because it starts at the top. Al Riveron, not good. He's not good at running this department. This department is, is, is rudderless right now, and you can see it as it goes down through the, the ranks. What could the head of officiating do better than is what is being done now? Well, first of all, first of all, it, when Mike Pereira was doing this, I was, a, I was a coach, an assistant coach and a head coach. In Mike Pereira's time doing this, I always felt like that you were always going to get an explanation, and plus I felt like there was consistency within all of the crews because guess what he did during the offseason? He schooled those guys, had them together. He made sure all of his officials were very fit. He made sure they knew the rule book. I mean, he was he was spot on with what he did. Now, there was, there was a, a, a – when Carl Johnson came in between he and Dean Blandino, it wasn't good. I mean, I, I lived through that too. Dean Blandino was a mini Mike Pereira. He was really good, but he could explain it and he could keep and – his, and his I think his officials below him had confidence in him. I'm not sure the officials right now have confidence in anything. 
I think they're gun shy with what the, with the way that the game is called. I think they're gun shy with review, and I think they're gun shy with the support they have from leadership. And I think you've got so many new officials, they really don't know the game. Now, these were two officials that should know the game. They should know the game. They, they've been they've been in this league long enough. I just think it's it starts at the top. And it's, it, it's a problem for this league. And I agree with you 100%. I've spent over half my adult life in the National Football League. This is the worst I've ever seen it as far as confidence in an officiating department. What do you do with those two officials, Gary Cavalletto and Patrick Turner, who did not make that call, which was theirs, not the, not the referee, it was theirs to make. And I'm, I'm not saying a Tony Soprano type answer. Make them live in New Orleans for a month. No, no, no. But I'm saying realistically, they were good enough to be chosen on a playoff crew. Mike, they were. That's this is supposed to be the best group. They're the all stars, right? They're 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 the best crew. What do you do without demeaning them personally? What do you what do you do? Well, look, if they were coaches. Or they were players, what would you do? They'd be cut. They'd be gone. Yep. I mean, that's that's the bottom line of this league. Look, I've I've interviewed for three head jobs in this league. You know, I've been a head coach. I've also been fired as a head coach because guess why? I didn't win enough games. And this league is about just like you and just like Amy, all of us that work in this league, it's a production business. It's a production business. If you don't produce, then you don't need to be around. Okay, and that to me, that would send a big message. Okay, first of all, now I think what they're afraid of is they're. I think they're having trouble finding qualified officials anyway. Well, you know something, coach. That is the problem. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. You say that Amy and I and you work with the TSSAA in the state of Tennessee, involved in high school football. I think it's safe to say we all enjoy it very much. Mm -hmm. They are having trouble in this state. Well, it goes all the way down to the youth level. They're having a hard time getting people to participate in being officials across sports. At the youngest level, frankly, it's because parents aren't very nice. And people say, I'm getting paid 10 bucks an hour to do this. See you later. And but that's where you get people who learn how to do it, understand it, think, hey, I'm kind of good at this. And then they start going through the steps to get right. well, the, further and further and high, higher well, up. The high school, the progression, you work small college and then you get a chance maybe to work a, a non power five. And then if you get good enough, you get to work in the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you move up. And it was something that by all rights, uh, Totally, Mike Pereira recruited some very good officials that he was almost a Nick Saban in terms of the type of officials that he recruited. He brought in some really good people at that time. And that is such a great point. And people that haven't been in this league and the inner workings of this league don't understand it. You understand it. You track officials just like a coach would. You do. I, I mean, do. I've been with mm-hmm. you. And, 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 and that's important. But what you see out of it now, Gary Cavaletto, Gary Cavaletto came up through NFL Europe. He was an arena league official. He had all the, he had all the background, but to to make a mis, to make a mis, not a mistake, to make an, an an egregious non-call, you know, and and what you've got to be, you almost felt like the moment was too big for him. Well, how can it be too big for you if that's what you've done all your life? And as you said, this he was picked. These crews don't go as crews to these things. They're picked because of what they do. Which is another question. That's another question is they pick, instead of teams, 
and they work as groups of seven. Occasionally a guy will take a week off or they'll move people in crews. But for the most part, for 13 or 14 of the 17 weeks that they work, they're all together as seven. Instead, you get to the postseason and you pick the best down judge and you pick the best. Would you be better off stick picking crews and maybe replacing one person if somebody has been particularly below standard, but but more or less keeping that team of men and women together? Let me tell you something, and there's there's a point to that. I mean, to me, it's like this. You've got a coaching staff that's gone all year, and they've gone together. And then you get you get to the playoffs, and you say, you know what? You've really done a nice job with my tight ends, but this guy over here that's not in the playoffs, I think he's a better tight end coach than you. Why don't I bring him in here for this week? You know, to me, that's a that's a great point. Now, and it used to be, Mike, I've been in this league a long It used to be by Cruz. Okay. It used to be by Cruz, but, again, I still think it goes to the top. Because I've experienced it. I've experienced it with Mike Pereira. I've experienced it with Dean Blandino. And I'm watching and experiencing it now with what's going on. And it is looks like they're rudderless. I mean, and there's and the other thing is, this not only that call, that game was poorly officiated from the jump. It's jagged. Calls in this league now are jagged. It's not a smooth operation, crew to crew to crew. You know it and I know it. We all three before games, we always study. You bring it to us. We study what they've called, what is going to be, you know, and you can you can nearly predict, say, okay, this week we're going to be able to play pretty tight man-to-man because this crew doesn't call this. But next week they call all types of, of illegal contact. They call it's – not, it's not uniform, and that's what's killing the league right now because it kills confidence in the league. Here's what seems to be my issue, and this is on a much broader scale. This isn't just the playoffs. This is with officiating and the National Football League right now. Every year at owners' meetings, there are two main topics of conversation. How do we improve officiating? How do we make the game faster? And they, for a long time, seemed to be kind of parallel ideas. They didn't really interact with each other. We can make the game faster. We can improve officiating. These are two separate things. We've gotten to the point now where they're starting to intersect. And you're starting to take some things away from officiating or change the way that you do officiating to make it faster, to make it more efficient. Right. Because you're trying to make the game shorter. Right. And you're trying to increase viewership and take away from the amount of dead time, which can make football hard to watch. I get all of those things. The problem is they're starting to impact each other. So we've reached a point in my mind where we have to decide, okay, are we going to change some things about officiating with the knowledge that this might make a game 10 minutes longer, eight minutes longer? Or do we want to continue to shave things off and try to do more things that are happening away from the field in New York, that kind of thing, use more technology instead of relying on the eyes that are there on the field and keep this game shorter, but know that there's going to be things like this that happen. I think a choice has to be made about what direction and what overarching goal they want to pursue because you can't do both independently anymore. Is that the best point of this edition of the OTP so far? No, I think that that is so good and it's so insightful and it's so right because these guys have become paranoid now because of all the replay, and if, if you're going to do that, then – and, guys, as we sit here today, after this owner's meeting, Sean Payton's sitting on this competition committee, the, the review is going to be expanded. 
in this league. It's The review is going to be expanded. All right, let me ask you this. Bill Belichick has said that every call should be open to review. No. And he got, now hang on, hang on. Makes me tired. He got, he got laughed at. People made fun of him. They said he was mocking the system, but he, he said, I, I'm not saying we expand the number of challenges. He said, I'm saying every, everything that happens in the game should be reviewable. Dave McGinn, I'm going to give you a chance to. <laughs> Amy's already said no. Uh, <laughs> worst poker face in America, Amy Wells. <laughs> don't have her as your gin rummy partner. No, do not. Do no, when, not you're, when you're playing, play bridge when you're playing with her. gin or bridge for money, yeah. Amy can't be your partner. <laughs> she cannot do she it. She just gives it away. Okay. It's, it's inside out. Do they do what Belichick says and expand replay to where everything is reviewable now? Or do they at least think about making everything reviewable in the last two minutes when New York totally has the button? Go. Who, do you, who do you want to go first? Go. Me? You. I think, I think they make them all reviewable. And here's the reason. Right now, the game is, is it's lengthened anyway. Look, we just went through with Sean Hockley, us, personally, <laughs> this year. Correct? Yes. Correct. I mean, it was it was correct, right? I mean, we went we went through it. I mean, as to where every stop. Look, and you the way technology is right now, how hard would it be to buzz down and say, hey, Bill Vinovich, you guys missed that one. Look at it. Look at it. They missed that one. And I don't think it's just the last two minutes. That play could have happened in the first quarter of the game. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with Belichick. I am leaning with Belichick. Were you now. always that way, or are you, have you become that way? I've become that way. Okay. I've become that way because of the ineptness of what's going on right now. And this impacts lives. I mean, look, Charles Woodson, uh, Charles Woodson said it so great. He said, people have told me for years to get over the tuck rule. Guess when you get over that? Never. Never. Okay. Guess when the people in New Orleans are going to get over this? Never. I mean, this is a never deal. Okay, so why not why not shorten the fact that you could make a mistake? And they made a huge mistake right there. And with the way things are looking now, I mean, how about the muff call in the other game? You know, seeing that ball touch. So go, Amy. Well, see, now my initial response was absolutely not. That's insane. We heard that. The more, <laughs> the more I think about it and the more I think about what other options we could possibly have, it makes a lot of sense. I can see where... Belichick is coming from in saying that this is a way to minimize some of those mistakes and the amount of time with which people have to live with those mistakes. So from that standpoint, I'm on board. Initially, I was kind of into the New York being super involved and what was it, two years ago at owners meetings when they made that announcement that they were going to take a lot of things to New York, to the league office. They were going to have a staff of people watching all the games. Felt like a second set of eyes. It was going to be great. After that press conference, there's another press conference where Dean Blandino says, oh, by the way, I'm out. See you guys later. So with the current upper management that we have, it seems like they took on a lot of stuff that's all brand new. And the one guy who came up with the idea, who everyone kind of trusted to run it, he's gone. So how do we bring someone like that back? And if we want all of the onus to be put on New York and give them so much control over the games and what's happening 
in the officiating. Let's get someone in there who's not overwhelmed by that job. You know why? And let's pay him. You know what? I mean, that's because what? That's why Blandino left. Right. Sure. I mean, let's let's face it. That's got to be. I mean, that's a headache job. Mm -hmm. You got to be making some dough. No. And and, and so pay it. Pay them double. I mean, we listen. The NFL ain't broke. And I'm not saying you should throw money at everything. That you should give money away like some people. And I'm not trying to spend everybody's money. But this role is so important. Yep. Let's. You get what you pay for in life. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Mike? And that's, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Because that's why he left. Because all the responsibilities he had, he wasn't being compensated for those responsibilities. Yep. And I think he was willing to take on the responsibilities. That's why Mike Pereira left. Yeah. You know, I mean, because, and the technology that we have now is way different than from what we used to have before. Right. Even when, even when Bill Belichick started, you know, promoting this. The technology that we have now, I mean, let's get it because... I was at a big watch party with these two games. A lot of different people and a lot of different football acumen from people that understood ball to some people that didn't know whether it was pumped or stuffed. Okay? <laughs> and so. But the food was good. No, the food was outstanding. But I'm saying when that happened, even the people that didn't know whether it was pumped or stuffed looked at me and went, Coach, is that okay? I went, no. <laughs> that doesn't no. look right. That's, that's exactly. It didn't look right. It's not. So why not? And, and the, all the technology you have now, if it's going back, it used to never go back to New York. When right. you and I first started, New York, I mean, they'd have to give a phone and dial a rotary number, you know, to get to get it to take. Now it's instantaneous. We've got to do something because the this is a great product that we have. It's a great game. The technical aspects of managing a game from the officiating department right now are is not consistent. And with that non-consistency brings issues. Mm-hmm. When I got to the league is exactly when replay hit, the exact time I came. And I didn't know how I felt about it at the time until Phil Luckett made sure the Music City Miracle was good. Then I was really for it. <laughs> uh, but, good point. But in all seriousness, good point. The, the way I became for replay was because the man for whom I worked, who signed my check, Bud Adams, the late great uh, owner and founder of our franchise, said it better than anybody about replay he said if you could make it right why wouldn't you yeah and it was kind of like well that's because i really was you know i'm traditionalist and you know you know and i like to throw all those words around like i you know knew more than everybody but but the truth was i wasn't sure that i thought that was great for the game that they were going to be able to go out. And, and they had done it earlier. People forget. You're not old enough to remember. Amy Coach remembers. They had done replay earlier, and it was kind of a disaster. It was not as well done as it was in the late 90s into the early 2000s. So this was clearly better. But Mr. Adams' point I just thought was dead on. If you can make it right, why wouldn't you? What? <laughs> Amy? I agree. And then, and Let's it, make see, this right. Well, that's that's what I say, though. All of us are sitting here talking just like everybody, you know, hopefully that's listening to us has some interest in football. They do or they wouldn't be listening to this. You want it right. You, you want it correct because it's you work too hard for those three hours plus whatever it is. Get it right. And again, we all feel feel bad because we're involved in it and we watched it and saw it. Think, just think, just put yourselves, all three of us right now, and you know how hard we work from training camp on to get to this point? How hard did all the Saints people work to Mm -hmm. get to that point? And now 
how, they're never going to feel that. I mean, you never get over that. And that was something you could have made right real quick, real quick with a buzz down and say, Bill, your guys missed something. Take a look at it. It's all you had to do. And you don't need full-time officials for that. And no. We, and I think we have 23 full-time officials. I don't think now. that's the answer. And, and we don't necessarily need an extra official, although we could certainly debate whether or not that would be a good thing. This is just about expanding the scope of, of replay in this way. I love the eighth official for this reason. I, I think the umpire back behind the defense gets so many more, sees so many more things. I mean, you just – unless you've ever experienced it, you know, and you've experienced you it. You want to put the umpire back where he is in I the last make two that, minutes. I want to make the eighth official there. I mean, you can get younger guys that can get out of the way, and, I mean, you, you can live through it. They lived through it for a lot of years. <laughs> but the things that they miss – and you know it as well as I do. Oh, you're right. Amy, you know it too. The things that they miss from where they're sitting, you can't see that. And you don't have that. So, the, the I mean, I don't want to get into the minutia of who's got what call and what position you go to when the ball snapped. But it's you miss that guy. But to the point, it's easy now to have somebody watching. Okay, look, the three of us. I've never, I've never officiated a game in my life. Have either one of you guys? I was a baseball umpire. Okay, it doesn't count. Okay, we I've, now. I've never done anything. He asked if I had officiated a no, game. Proud of no. you, Mike. I have officiated yeah. basketball before too. Okay, well, that's closer. Long, that, long ago, but I was not good at either one. <laughs> I was not. Good. But you would be good at this. It's hard. I mean, yeah. you would be good at this, and I think I'll, you could sit up there and watch. A monitor and watch a game with a buzzer that you'd say buzz down and say that, that was pass interference. Or if Andy Reid wanted to throw his flag, or Sean Payton wanted to throw his flag and say that was pass interference. Again, two reviews don't change the number of challenges that they have. Three if they get the first two right, don't change it. Don't change you it. You know because people people think whenever you say this that we're going to be reviewing every single play. You can't you can't let that happen. Right. But you let the if Sean Payton had a flag right there or if that were New York's call as it would have been inside 2 minutes, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have taken any time. That no. doesn't that doesn't again, I'm not for giving the coaches eight challenges. No. Right? And anytime somebody talks about expanding replay, they think that means expanding the number of challenges. Right. No, you're 100%. Mike, you're so right. And, I mean, it's not expanding challenges. It's making the plays reviewable. Right. If you think it's worth it, if you think it's worth it to throw your flag, then and that was worth it. Right. Right? I mean, it was worth it for a whole franchise. Well, what if D. Ford had not been offside mm-hmm. in the New England game? What if New York? What if it had been determined? Now he was. I mean, I don't know what he was doing, but he was lined up like in the backfield. Almost. I don't think anybody. But, but, knows but can, what can you stop? But can you stop just a minute on sure. that? And because I've got a point on that too. Did you see where the left tackle was lined up? Yes. I mean, the, the left tackle is backed up like he's he kick starting a motorcycle. He was playing. I mean, he's got that leg cocked back. He's he playing was, wing back. He was lined. He was lined up on the wing back. Uh, yes. He wasn't lined up on the ball. No. So that's another conversation. But that's another conversation. But let's say. That there was that New York saw that he wasn't lined up offside, that they from replay they could see clearly he was not, and then suddenly that could have turned that game. That's a hypothetical, but it's true. But it's true, mm-hmm. and and how badly would everybody have felt if the TV commentators had been going, wait a minute, he's he's lined up just fine, right? What was this guy seeing? Because he saw the 
the tackle lined up back so far, he assumed that the defensive end was offside, and yet he wasn't, theoretically, hypothetically, whatever you want to call it. I get it. I get you. I I think that should be, why not? If you can make it right, why wouldn't you? you, And I think your point to that phrase, if you can make it right, why wouldn't you? Bud Adams. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, I'm glad that this happened to a different team and we're able to have this calm, cool discussion about it because if something like that had happened to the Titans in the AFC playoffs, the championship game, I would want that official in jail. Well, I mean, like, have you seen the Times-Picayune today in New Orleans? Oh, no. I think the headline was blank, blank, blank. (laughs) The word blank, blank, blank three times. I'm I'm shocked, and I said this 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 morning on a – radio show i was on i'm surprised that the bourbon street mm-hmm. isn't in flames i mean <laughs> it might be has anybody checked i mean that to me is it's so but again not because it was a judgment it was so egregious of not doing your job right mm-hmm. that's the problem well even the player who interfered when was not called said he interfered he because he was whipped. Mm-hmm. He covered the wrong guy. Yeah, and and but he he, Bodie Coleman did the right thing. He did the right thing. He did what you coach defensive players to do, which is if you're beaten, okay, tackle the guy, take the spot foul, and give us another chance to play. Right. Don't give up the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Okay. That he did what he's coached to do. Okay. He he knew he was interfering. He knew, he knew in his mind, I'm beat. First of all, I dropped my coverage. I'm covering the wrong guy right. on that s- split release, if you want to get into that. But he's covering the wrong dude, all right? But now I'm beat, so I'm going to tackle him, and at least we get another chance to play. I don't give up the touchdown here. Dave McGinnis, you were the perfect OTP guest. <laughs> no, it's always perfect for me to be here with you two. Oh, this is fun. Yeah, it is. Travel safe, guys. Thank I'm on the you. way to Mobile. Amy Wells will be going to Orlando later in the week, and there is going to be a lot to come uh, from all of the developments. Arthur Smith is the Titans' new offensive coordinator, and there will certainly be a lot of news and a lot of talk about that. Football season never ends anymore. You know what? Somebody asked me the other day when I was downtown, what do you do during the off season?" And I said, you know, that's really not a real thing. Right. It, there's times when games aren't being played, but there's never an off season. Right. It's really great. Yeah, it is. Here we go. It's the greatest thing in the whole world. And here we go. Thanks to Brian Myers for his extra effort on this holiday to make it happen. Thank you to Dave McGinnis. Amy Wells, great job as usual. Thank you. Have fun in Mobile. I'm Mike Keith, and you're listening to the OTP.